Welcome to the VBAC Link podcast. We are a team of expert doulas trained in supporting VBAC, have had VBACs of our own, and work extensively with VBAC women and their providers. We are here to provide detailed VBAC and cesarean prevention stories and facts in a simple, consolidated format. When we were moms preparing to VBAC, it was stories and information like we will be sharing in this podcast that helped fine-tune our intuition and build confidence in our birth preparations. We hope this does the same for you. To hear more about us and to hear our individual VBAC stories, be sure to check out episodes one, two, and three. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. So excited for this episode today. I know I say that like all the time, but I am extra excited today, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But before we get going, I just wanted to thank everyone for all the messages and reviews that were coming in, and Megan and I really wanted to start sharing some of the reviews that are coming into us. Um, more of like a thank you to everybody, and just so you know, um, a lot of times we get people asking how they can help us, how they can support us, how they can spread the word, and to be honest, the best thing you can do for us is leaving us a review, like writing out a review, giving us five stars on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using will help us reach more people and um, it'll let iTunes know that you think we're pretty awesome as we hope you do. So go ahead and hit your pause button right now. Go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're using and write us a quick review. And maybe next time we'll be reading your review on the podcast. So I, I remember this review. I will remember this review always because it was like three weeks or four weeks after we launched. No, it wasn't. It was like the first week we launched because we launched five episodes the first week. And we got this message on Instagram from Australia. And it like blew my mind that somebody from Australia was already listening to us. And I was, I'm so excited to share her message. And this is from Cassidy in Sydney, Australia, which is like my dream vacation, guys. Like one day I will go there. But Cassidy says, thank you so much for this wonderful podcast all the way from Sydney, Australia. You have helped me heal and come to terms with my emergency C-section nine months ago. My first thought is that I'm nervous about VBAC and I'm dreaming of it, and I don't think it will be possible if I get pregnant too soon between births. And we're going to talk about that in a future episode, actually. Um, And then she goes on to ask if we have stories to share. And then she said, thank you so much for your help. I am so glad to hear that there's still hope for me. I hope to be equipped with all the info before I try and fight for my VBAC. I have a feeling the hospitals here might try and just push me down the cesarean route, but fingers crossed, and I know I'll be well prepared. We are so grateful to her again from like Sydney, Australia. I was so excited. Thank you so much, Cassidy, and thank you everyone for leaving your reviews. It really makes our day. But before we wait much longer, I cannot wait to introduce our guest today because this is one of my high school besties. You guys, 
I know like everyone probably has people they stay in touch with from high school and it's so easy now with social media and everything like that but um, this is my friend Leslie and we were friends in high school and then afterwards our lives kind of took the same journey it's kind of funny we were talking about it the other day but we both joined the army but just at separate times and we didn't even know that each other did and then both served in South Korea and we came back and we, we moved within you know, just a few miles of each other, and we both had C-sections for our first birth, and with our VBAC babies, we were due just one month apart from each other. Like, literally, her VBAC baby is a month older than my VBAC baby. We planned each other's uh, mother's blessings. We had the same doula. We have the same midwife. Guys, like seriously, our journeys were like so intricately connected. And I remember just meeting with her at Cold Stone one night when we were both pregnant and just talking about feedback and 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 everything. And it's really cool that we're like here and I get to share her story with you. And the cool thing about Leslie's story is that she has a special scar from her first C-section. And if you don't know what a special scar is, then you are going to find out very soon. Yes, definitely. And the blog today is going to tell you also more about special scar and um, give you some more information on that. And Leslie, I have been so excited this second that Julie told me about you and your story, and she hasn't told me the whole story. She just told me some kind of some highlights of it, and so I've been looking forward to hearing your story, so I'm so excited to hear the full version today. Yes, me too. Like, I'm seriously, like, about to burst out of my skin right now with excitement. You guys, let me tell you something about Leslie's story. There are so many exciting parts to it, but the thing I think that, like, is shocks me the most is that a highly thought of doctor here in the birth community um, told Leslie that because of her special scar that she was a ticking time bomb. She's a ticking time bomb in her pregnancy. And Leslie has a lot of things to say about that. And I can't wait for you to hear about how her story unfolds. So Leslie, go ahead and take it over. <laughs> hey, Julie. Hey, Megan. It's Leslie. I am very grateful that you guys have um, asked me to share my story and just kind of, I guess, give hope and share my, kind of what I went through. So I guess you don't feel so alone because I know um, after I had my first baby by cesarean section, I definitely felt like alone and I, it was just an emotional mess. Um, trying to navigate my options for having a trial of labor, let alone a VBAC, or finding a supportive provider and what that really was going to look like for me. Um, so I guess to lay the foundation of this story is I kind of got to go over a little bit of the birth of my son because I have two children. My first was a boy, and he was my C-section baby. And I was living in uh, Boise at the time, my husband was going to grad school, and I've been in the military, and I really didn't know too much about birth and options and how that all kind of looked, and it was just kind of like I had learned what birth was like from like, um, watching TV and that sort of stuff, so I kind of didn't really know. I talked to my family, and they were like, oh, yeah, you just get an epidural, you have your baby, and you go home. 
And I was like, I don't know that I really like that. Not, um, so my profession is a licensed practical nurse, and my husband is a physician assistant, and that plays a major role in our decision for VBAC with my daughter. And with my son, we since we had moved to Boise, and we didn't really know anybody, and we didn't really know a whole lot, and we just kind of fell into the system of having your baby at the hospital because that's just what you do. You don't. I didn't know anything about midwives or home births or anything like that. So went through the VA. They recommended me to go to St. Luke's Hospital, and um, I started going to a prenatal swim class to just do exercise, and it was just a way for me to meet people. And the women in there connected me to um, some of the birthing women, the birthing community in Idaho. And I had taken some birthing classes and kind of learned about natural birth versus, you know, augmented birth with epidural pitocin and all that stuff and C-sections and just kind of had a basic understanding. So fast forward, I decided to hire a doula. Didn't really know what a doula meant or what they kind of did. It just kind of sounded like a good idea to me at the time, and I didn't really understand the significance of hiring one or how they could help or not. And I don't know that I really utilized the doula that I had hired at the time for the fullest potential because I didn't really – I just felt super educated at the time because, you know, you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, but at the same time – Hindsight 2020, I didn't know a thing about birth. And other than I know that TV made it sound like it was such a dramatic thing and it was going to be super painful and it was super dramatic and you go to the hospital and it's all these people come and do all this stuff and then you just have this baby and everybody's happy. And you have this picture and everyone's, you know, your family picture and you're all smiling and it's you got this cute little bundle of joy and you go home. You know, that was my p- picturesque what I thought birth was going to be because I – I didn't know what I didn't know until I knew, and sometimes those decisions and those that lack of knowledge of not knowing, because I didn't know I needed to know, it. Yeah. The, the price tag was a lot higher than I anticipated paying. Um, with my son, I went into, I had prodromal labor for days. I would go, I was due November um, 6th, and... I was kind of panicky trying to decide whether or not I wanted to have an induction because the way my insurance ended, it ended on the 4th of November. I was due the 6th, and I knew most women go over their due date. And I was like, well, I don't know how much a baby costs. I don't have a job. My husband's a student. Um, crap, now what? So I had toyed with the idea of having an induction, so I let my doc do a membrane sweep, and those are awful. I don't recommend them. They're very, for me, it was painful, and it was, the whole experience was awful. Nothing happened, other than every night, around midnight, for the next few days, I would have lots of contractions for several hours, thinking, okay, this baby time, and then they would just die. But, of course, I haven't slept all night, so I'm exhausted. And my husband has to go to school the next day, so I sleep all day. And it's just like a few, four, it was like three, four days of just prodromal labor, not really sure what's going on, and just, and then it would just fizzle out. So when I was finally really in labor with my son, I didn't know I was really in labor with my son um, because I figured they were just going to fizzle out. So I ended up, like, tried to go to sleep, couldn't do that. But I just remember going 
in on the 8th of November, and they're like, oh, you're at a three. You need to go home. So I'm like, I'm exhausted. I've been up all night. I need time. I'm tired. And so they gave me Ambien, and, which I don't recommend either. Ambien made me hallucinate and had awful dreams. I slept oh horribly even though you were sleeping. I don't recommend that either. And I, just, I was a mess. My husband's taking his finals. So he was sort of there, but not really there. He was trying to be supportive, but he was like, I'm missing all this school. I can't really be there for you, but I'm trying not to miss school. And it's like, if he fails this, then we have no money, we have no job. And like everything we have is riding on him finishing his degree. Um, I'm sure many people can relate to that of supporting, having needs of your husband to do all these things. So I finally woke up that evening and... I was like, no, it's really time. So we went to the hospital yet again, and they're like, oh, you're at a four. I'm like, all of that for a four? And I remember just being like, I don't want to go home. I know we're in labor. Let's just stay here. I remember having, like, this intuition where I should walk around, but I was just like, I don't really know what I want to do. And the nurse came in and was like, oh, we're here, and we're going to get you ready for your epidural because I kind of said I wanted epidural, kind of said I didn't want one, and I didn't really make a hard decision what I wanted. So I ended up with an epidural. So I labored all evening after laboring all day after the Ambien. And it was like I got all the way fully faced, fully dilated, everything's like ready to go. And they're like, all right, let's push. And I'm like, not my body's not, like I can't, and the epidural wasn't, fully all there so I could feel parts of like my body that you with an epidural you shouldn't feel so it was kind of like more on one side versus the other and they were trying to get me to do pit and they were trying to do all these things and have me like kind of fall into the rigmarole of you know you get an epidural you get pitocin you do these things and it's kind of like a checklist out that they go down um I I personally call it cookie cutter medicine and I didn't like it and my husband was kind of disconnected because he was trying to be there for me, and but at the same time, like, still study. I look at my birth pictures, and it was – I saw pictures of him studying his textbooks while I'm in labor. And I kind of laugh at it now, but at the time, I know I was angry. But, um, you know, I'm looking here in a picture, and I have one of the residents looking, you know, doing a vaginal check. And she's like, the baby's right there. I can see his hair. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. And – I pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed for hours, and I tried a couple different positions, and even with an epidural, because they were like, well, you have an epidural, we can't really get you in this position or that position or do this, that, and the other thing, and I was a very vocal patient. I know that before I actually finally went in to have my C-section with my son, I was not content with their explanations on why certain things needed to be done or how things were going to happen. Um, I know I said a lot of F-bombs, um, swear words. I probably turned some people shades of red with some of my colorful language. So they only wanted one person in the operating room as far as, like, my husband or my – or having a doula or having, like, a photographer, but I couldn't have two. And it was like – you know, I've worked in a hospital. I understand these things. I know this. the photographer that I've hired has been in the ER or the OR before, and it was something that was important to me that I wanted to have it 
for um, taking pictures. Um, I ended up, they ended up sending the photographer's camera in the OR and they wouldn't let her in. And by then my, my epidural had worn off and I was a mess. I was in a lot of pain because I, I mean, I had been pushing for hours at this point and I was just, I was exhausted. I was frustrated by being treated some of the ways that I got treated. Um, I know I've had to go personally through a lot of just therapy to just kind of work through some of the emotions that the birth of my son brought up. Because, I mean, I used to be, I, I mean, I haven't looked at his birth book in years because it was just some of the things that they said to me and the way they treated me and they just, I, the way I, they made me feel just, it was it, like it was difficult for me to look at these pictures and not just yeah. look at be happy that I do have a healthy son, but on the same hand, be mourn the loss of the birth that I wanted. And um, I know that's a very controversial topic in the birthing world. Some people are just happy that you have a happy, healthy baby, and that's all should be grateful for. But I really think that women can have two feelings about their birth. They can be grateful that their their son or daughter or whatever is there with them and they're healthy or that they're there and, and alive versus and then also mourn the loss of what their desires were and kind of how they were treated because I feel like you can have two separate emotions about the same event. I agree um, with that 100%. It, it's I mean it's not a cut dry you only get one or the other. You can be happy and sad about the same event. So with my son they did the C-section and um, they pulled him out and he was floppy. And some of this, because I am medical as an LPN and I worked on the labor floor when I was much younger and just being in the medical world, when they were saying some of the things they were saying, I knew what they meant. I knew when they said his APGAR was four, um, that was not a good sign. And I could see by the color of his skin and just the, the demeanor that he had when they pulled him out, things were not looking good. And, of course, so I panicked. But I can't move. And my husband's with me. And, um, you know, him being medical, he knew what it was. But, like, it's different when it's your, it's your child. You can be as medical as you want in the world, and it doesn't matter if it's your child. You forget everything. It's Absolutely. like you can hear it, but you're numb, and you don't. You're like, now what? You're a mess. Um, so they whisked him away and started working him on the table, and I could see out of the corner of my eye what they were doing with him, and they were they intubated him, and you could see them trying to bring, you know. Um, I guess, breathe life back into him and just, I guess he swallowed meconium when they took him out of the uterus. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't really, I haven't ever been able to bring myself to read his um, birth report versus mine. Um, I know when I heard him cry, it was like, I know I bawled. I was a mess and I bawled because it was like, okay, He's breathing because that, that is the greatest sound when you have a baby that, you know, they, you can see them working on um, when they, they cry because you know that 
things are looking better than the floppy baby you were just looking at. But as I was crying, I was also puking because they were, you know, they had removed every, all, you know, your abdominal organs and then they're putting them all back and sewing me back together. And then they whisked my husband because they, they were like, okay, we're going to take your son to the NICU and that sort of stuff so they can continue doing whatever the NICU team needed to do with my son. And then while my doctors continued working on me, um, and my husband was left with, do I go with my husband, do, with, do I go with my wife and be there to support her or do I, you know, or do I go with my son or do I stay with my wife? And I can only imagine the decision he had to make because it's, I mean, those are the two pieces of your heart and you had to split them. So I told him to go with our son and I'll stay here. And so they left me in the OR and they stitched me up and, um, you know, fast forward to the post-op recovery room, the PACU. Um, they took me in there and I was alone with the recovery nurse and there was nobody else in there. It was late in the morning. And I remember kind of in and out of consciousness because I was exhausted. You know, you're drugged up from all the epidural and, you know, they didn't know if they had to do general on me, but luckily the epidural right before, like giving more drugs was good before they took my son out. Um, I mean, I was just, I was exhausted. I remember the doc came in and it wasn't my regular doctor. It was just happened to be the doctor on call that did my surgery and all that. And she came in and she didn't tell me if my son was healthy, doing good. She didn't give me any update on him. She just came to me and she leaned over me and it was almost like I was laying there and you see the bright light in front of you and then somebody's head pop in front of it, your face. And she just looked at me and she goes, you'll never have a vaginal birth. You'll have to have a C-section from this point forward. You'll have to talk to your doctor about it. And left. You know, my mom's in there and she doesn't really know what to say. Um, And she's like, well, let me go find out about your son. And so she left. And I'm sure the PACU nurse was in there somewhere in this room. But at that point, I didn't see her. So for me, I was alone. I felt alone. And of course, like I'm overwhelmed with all this emotions of where's my baby? I'll, you know, I, I can't speak for all women, but for what I know, you know, if somebody tells you you'll never get to do something again, that's something that's biologically what women do is you have a baby and you have a vaginal birth. It's kind of like what, I mean, I want to swear right now, but but I know I. <laughs> I did. I swore a lot because I know I have a sailor's mouth. And I was just, it was like two separate parts of me. I had emotions about my son and what's going on with him and all that. But then at the same time, it was I was pissed and angry of, how do you come and say that to a patient? And like, how dare yeah. you? Yeah. Like, I'm not, not cool. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was awful. And I just, I was a mess, and the one nurse came in, and she finally said, do you want to see your baby? And I said, yes, of course. And they finally brought him in, and he was perfect. Um, and, you know, he, 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 had, he was floppy, but by the time, you know, give him some time, and they did the, some of the, the medical things that they needed to do to him. Um, he recovered fine. We have... I mean, he is a happy, healthy, rambunctious six-year-old now. And 
you know, like it. I don't know. It like I'm just happy that everything worked out, and you know, at the time, I was still sad that things didn't work out, but like seeing him made it better. And um, I know that like I left the hospital and was still confused about kind of what happened. And, you know, I looked at my first family pictures and I mean, I looked so drugged up. I looked gorked out of my mind. I looked happy, but just gorked. <laughs> so high. Did you just say gorked? <laughs> I did say gorked. I mean, that's all I can say. I just, I look at these pictures and I'm like, I can see some of the emotions there, but I was, I can see the exhaustion. I can see like the confusion of just like, I didn't know what was happening. And, you know, you stay in the hospital a couple of days and then you go home and like nobody prepares you for going home after you have a baby. Um, you prepare for all this having the baby, but nobody prepares you for going home. Cause I know I, once I got home, my husband looked at me and he, I looked at him and he looked at me and goes, now what do we do? And I laugh at it now because I'm thinking, I don't know. We have this baby. I guess we got to keep it alive. But what does that mean? Like you don't realize the magnitude of all that. It's like, I guess we just, just I don't know, feed the kid, change his diaper. Because, uh, you know, in the hospital you have everybody there helping you. Well, I, call, I, I say the word loosely, helping. They are helpful, don't get me wrong, helping you feed the baby and all that sort of stuff. But you get no sleep. So when, by the time you get home, you just want sleep. You're exhausted. So, yes, they're helpful, but not helpful for sleep. So on to, like, my daughter's birth. Like, after I had had my son, I went to my six-week birthing, my six-week appointment, and I still didn't really understand what happened during the C-section. And it was like I was left with all these questions. So I went to my doctor, and he said the same thing as the female that did the C-section was that you'll never have a VBAC. You'll never have a vaginal birth. You'll have to have a C-section from this point forward. And I was just like, well, what does that mean and why? And he said that the way my son was positioned because he was in my vaginal canal, kind of lodged in my pelvis, um, kind of stuck, but he was not in the optimal position. I can't remember what it was off. Uh, I mean, his head would turn just a little bit, so I can't think of what it's called. It was like OP or something like that. I don't know. Asynclitic? I think an asynclitic too, yeah. Wonder if- that is the word. Um, like I said, I haven't read my op report in forever, and I've I've processed this, so it's like I don't remember all the words in that like I could have told you three years ago. But um, so he said that, you know, he was asynclitic and he was stuck, and so what they ended up doing was reaching their hand through my vagina and my vaginal canal to kind of push him back, but because of the positioning he was in in order to get him out, they normally do a low transverse C-section, so the bikini cut. Um, so they did that, but the way he was, they could not get him out of my uterus in that position. So what they did was 
gave me a vertical incision. So the scar on my uterus looks like an upside down T. Um, so, and that's literally what it looks like is I got the low transverse and then I have the vertical incision. And granted, um, mine is three centimeters, so it's really not that much. It's more like a nick, or at least in my eyes, it's, it's a nick. I mean, it's not, it's not, three centimeters is really not that big. If you look at your pinky nail, that's probably as big as it is, you know, um, as far as the incision, but nonetheless, it's a vertical incision, and therefore, in the doctor's eyes, I was no longer allowed to have a VBAC because of the risk. And I was like, well, what risk? And he, was, he just said the risk of uterine rupture is too great, and so you will have to have a C-section. And that was like the length of the discussion. And of course, rushed me out of the rest of the appointment and kind of was like, you know, if you have another the baby, we'd, like, we'd be happy to take you on as a client. But, you know, I recommend not getting pregnant for at least a year. And good luck. See you later. Bye. Like everybody else's six-week appointment. So I still left with, I don't really know what happened. I don't know why they had to do this. He kind of explained it to me, but he didn't really explain, like, what would make you make this decision to do this type of incision. Part of me felt like they did it just enough to be vindictive. I know that I had asked for the hospital administrator. I had asked for the charge nurse on duty. I asked for the obstetrician's boss, the anesthesia's boss. I asked for... Um, SOPs, um, the standard operation procedures, and I swore, I, I remember the look on my doula's face when she heard me say this, the F-bomb probably for the 12th time in a row, and I told somebody to F off, and just, it, there was a lot of swears involved, because I was angry of the way they were treating me, so I started treating them the way they treated me, and part of me felt like did they do this because of being vindictive? I don't know. I don't know if doctors would do that, but it's like, it's hard not to, like, it was just so emotional for me. And and I think when your emotions are so raw and you're hurt, you want to blame somebody or something or just have a reason that made sense. And I was drawing straws out of the sky and nothing I did was making sense. And it was just, it was awful. And my husband was there for me as much as he could, but being in grad school, that took a lot of his time. He was he was sort of there, but not really there, and did the best he could. You know, I don't blame him for the situation he was put in either. Um, Stan was kind of a surprise baby for us. And then I had awful postpartum depression with him. And I had Hashimoto's diagnosed after I had him. And it was like, I was just, all these problems after I had this baby, and it was just, I'm struggling to be the NCO, the soldier that I want to be in my unit and take on the responsibilities that I'm supposed to do as I was um, postpartum and kind of come to understanding of what happened to me during this birth and process how I felt and V back and not getting like being told that I will never get to do something and I, I have some, some history with that and that's a whole other story, for I don't do well when somebody tells me I can't do something because, because something 
and that's kind of how they left it. It didn't give me a reason why other than the risk is too great, but they never explained what the risk was. And I was like, okay, I don't get it. So at that point, um, it's probably a few weeks after my, you know, my son was born when I'd started looking into VBACs and I'd found the ICANN um, Facebook group. And that was the, it wasn't the little local chapter, it was the International Cesarean Awareness Network that was like the international group, the big group. And um, I started kind of reading other people's stories and other people's situations and why people had had to have C-sections and just reading birth and just like preparing myself for a baby that I didn't really, I wasn't ready for or looking to get pregnant with right away after my son. But it was like I wanted to understand what my options were. And if you're going to tell me no, well, I want to know what my options are so I can fight you on it. Because that's literally what it was to me. It was like I was going to fight you to the nail because it didn't make sense to me why I could be told no. So searching through the International Cesarean Awareness, I found a group on Facebook that is called um, Special Scars for Special Women. And it is a secret group. And the only way that you can join this group is if you've had a cesarean and you have a typical scar or that you've had like a myomectomy and then you um, are trying to uh, have a VBAC after. Basically, if you have a regular low transverse C-section incision, you can't join this group. And I understand their, their reasoning behind why. Um, some of the roadblocks and um, the barriers that we have to VBAC and the emotions that we have, very similar to other women who have had a C-section or trying for a VBAC, ours are different because, yes, the risks, they're, they're, the risks are a little bit higher for a VBAC for certain things. Would I... Me personally think that they're as high as doctors say they are. No. Um, I know that 1.9% is a number that gets thrown around for us. Um, and it goes to around 3% depending on the kind of incision. But the research that kind of makes it kind of gray in our area is that when the research is done on anybody who does a C-section or a vaginal birth and has a rupture or has or any of that stuff, we're lumped in the same research. So if you have a C-section incision that was a upside down T or like the inverted T or a regular T or you have a J scar, a classical incision, um, like an extension whether it's vertical, down, um, like all these other things, we're all lumped in the same group. If you don't have the low transverse, we're all lumped in this group. And so it kind of makes reading that research a little bit gray area um, because you can't look at the research and go, okay, this is a T-scar and this is, what, this is what it 
the risks are for them versus this other type of scar. Um, and I don't know if, how many of you have read research. Research is it's a whole bunch of medical lingo jingo, and it's, it's difficult to read, and it'll put you to sleep. Um, and I, my college education that I've had, fortunately, in reading research to kind of look at it, and then my medical knowledge, and then my husband in grad school to help me kind of pick through this research to kind of make sense of it, and not just take what I've read of research based off my doctor's information, based off what they say. Because before I had my baby, my second daughter, before I even got pregnant, I had kind of went and talked to different doctors to see, you know, if I did my, because every time I had to do a GYN exam for any reason, I would ask them, okay, if I choose to get pregnant and this is my situation, what are my options for a birth? And they all said, if you come to my practice, you will have to sign a a consent form saying you agree to a C-section or we're not going to take you on as a patient. So, um, yeah, I know. Bo is right. I know that, that was something like I'm really... crazy. And I didn't get the conversation that I wanted to have with them. And it wasn't, I kind of wanted to have a conversation kind of like you do with your hairdresser. Well, these are your risks, and this is your benefits, and these are your pros, and these are your cons, and it's kind of a back and forth adult conversation. And yeah. I never got with anybody. And so I actually started, I, somebody told me to watch the business of being bored. And I did. And I bawled. Because I felt like I had just been put through a machine when I had my son. And I just either fit what the machine was going to have me do, or I was going to fit how the machine was going to do, like birth was going to be how they wanted me to have birth. And if it didn't, we were going to force you into it, and therefore, here's your C-section. Um, and it was more so, I may have needed the C-section with my son, you know, looking back, but at the time, it was more of how they treated me, how awful it was that made it, like, hard to accept that I needed it. Or who knows, maybe if I would have been in a different position, I wouldn't have. Um, and so... After that, I looked into midwives, and in the state of Idaho, they don't do unlicensed midwives, and licensed midwives cannot take you unless you've had a regular low transverse C-section scar. So for me, my option was to have a baby in a hospital, and that was it. And currently at the time, it was I was going to have a C-section, and I wasn't content with that because it's a major surgery. And not once did anybody talk to me about the risks of having a major surgery. They talked to me about the risks of having a rupture, and that was the only risk they talked about. Yeah. And I would like to know both sides of the coin. What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the risks? You know, worst case scenario, okay, we're all having a funeral, or everything works great. I wanted to know all the things with having this major surgery, and I just did not feel that an increased risk for me with a special scar barely even one, maybe 2%, depending on the research you looked at, I, I, was, I was comfortable with the risk of having a VBAC. Because if you look at it in cardiology or any other section of the medical world, if you even said, I have a 95% chance of everything going well and no problems, no complications, 
in cardiology, 95% of being successful, that is a phenomenal success rate. So why all of a sudden in a birth, having a baby, why do we only look at the this 5%, that's too high for us, we're not going to do the risk. But they're not presenting it in a way that's saying 95% of the chance that the risk is great and you have no problems and there's no complications. We presented of that 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 um, 1% to 3% of an awful outcome. And yes, there can be an awful outcome, and but we only look, it's almost like being an, a pessimistic and you only look at the glass being half full and that's it. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me because anywhere else in the medical world, it doesn't work that way. Um, so I had went to an annual training and I had this headache and it would not go away. And I'd taken a few pregnancy tests just to be certain I wasn't pregnant because I didn't want to be, because um, in the military, it's like you don't want to do, you don't do certain things if you are pregnant. And I figured this headache was because I was stressed from being in charge. I was going to get ready to take my soldiers out to the field and do all these things. And it was just, I attributed it to stress. And um, I come home from this field training exercise and I still have this headache. And I talked to my husband and I was like, I don't know what is going on. I'm a mess. Got all these crazy symptoms, but none of them are pointing to anything. Maybe it's my thyroid. It's being funky again. And so I went into the doctors, and of course, you know, the urine pregnancy test says negative. And when they did all my blood work for my thyroid and that, they ran a blood pregnancy test just in case, randomly. And comes back, congrats, you're pregnant. I'm like, oh my God, really? Uh, okay, I'm not really ready for pregnancy. I, was, I wanted to find a doctor who was going to be supportive of me having a VBAC before I got pregnant. And... Um, I was pregnant, and I found out that I was 11 weeks pregnant, so basically in the second trimester. I mean, give a week out of the second trimester. So, surprise! That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot. So, um, I was actually talking to my husband about this earlier today, and, like, we found out we were pregnant, and he was graduating class. Uh, he had graduated school. And I just said, we're moving. We're going to sell the house, and we're moving to Utah because through this special scars group, I found a midwife that a lady drives from Idaho to go and see in northern Utah. And I, if I'm going to have this view back, we're going to have this baby in Utah. And he looked at me like I was crazy, and I was like, I'm moving to Utah, so I hope you're there with me. <laughs> yes. Um, so we did. We, like, within a couple of weeks, we just packed our house up in a box, threw it in a U-Haul, sold our house, moved to Utah, and become homeless and lived with my mother. It was not an experience I want to repeat. I love my mom, but I, we should have planned this out a little bit better. But um, my husband didn't have a job. He was looking for a job, and it was just... He was busy doing that, and I was busy pulling up every midwife and every OB and calling because I had started doing interviews and going to an appointment to say, hey, I'm looking for a doctor, and I got tired of sitting in the waiting room 
to finally eventually be seen after a couple of hours past my appointment time to finally be seen to be told the same thing from every provider. You can be my patient if you sign a consent form saying we have a C-section, the risk is too great. And that was like the extent of the conversation. They never would talk about what the, other than I, the risk of rupture was too great. And um, like Julie said in my intro that I did, I interviewed with a very renowned doctor that is here in the state of Utah that I think he just has poor bedside manner. I don't know. But um, this was the first appointment that my husband had been with, and he didn't believe that doctors would be so crass and say things like, if you have a VBAC or even try a VBAC, you're going to kill your baby. Or like this doctor said, you're a ticking time bomb. You're going to rupture walking down the street. You should have a C-section at 37 weeks. And every single doctor that I met with, had different stories. Some of them would say, you need a C-section at 37 weeks to 39 weeks. Like it, Nobody had the same window of you're going to have a repeat C-section. It was, it was anywhere from 37 to 39, but you will not go past 39 days, 39 weeks. Like, and I'm thinking, I don't even know how far along this baby really is, so we're just going to roll the dice and say we're at 39 weeks today or 37 weeks or you know, and each each week that you go earlier with the C-section, there's more risks of having a baby in a NICU and having lung problems and, like, all these other risks. And I'm like, so can we have a conversation about those risks? And nobody would. It was all about how awful of a mother I was going to be because I'm making this hmm. decision to have a VBAC. That is so funny. Oh, my gosh. Like... It was difficult because I would surround myself with the birthing community and I went to, there's a postpartum or an afterpartum support group that was going on once a month down in Provo. And then I went to, um, to just have women work through their issues afterwards in kind of a group setting. Whatever those issues were, it didn't matter what it was, postpartum, you could go to that group and you can kind of talk about whatever you wanted to talk about. And it was kind of cathartic for me to hear other people's stories and be like, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. I'm not having these emotions because I know every woman who's gone through a VBAC to everything that people say to you, people are awful if you've had a C-section and you're going for a VBAC and they don't agree with your decision. Yes, and they are. It's I awful. I not realize how awful people are. And it didn't matter who it was because – I stopped speaking to half my family. There was some of my family that straight up told me, if I don't have this baby in a hospital, that we're going to disown you. So oh. I'm like, oh my goodness. well, just write you about all this stuff because delete your number now because I will call you after everything's successful. Um, I know they had my husband questioning this was a, the right choice, but it was like once I showed him the research and we talked about it and like a medical professional, you know, remove your emotions from it and that was difficult in itself um my poor husband i think when i was going from when i found out i was pregnant we moved to utah and i got connected through julie to the birthing community i think i was going to (laughs) i know right julie um i was going to a birthing event twice a week every week up until the day i had my baby and 
if anybody's gone to some of those birthing events, I love them and I'm grateful for them. But if you go to the event that's two hours, but then you get chit-chatting with these ladies after and you just kind of share your story and talk and connect to other women who don't think you're crazy for asking questions about your health care, because you should. You should ask, well, why are we doing this? Why is this the best option? Because sometimes the options that you're presented with are not the best option. It's the best option for the hospital to stay out of litigious court, or it's the best option for that doctor because that's the most thing that they're comfortable with because they're practicing within their comfort level sometimes, not necessarily what's best for the patient. And that come like I, that light bulb kind of came on because I work in healthcare. I've been in that administrator role where sometimes you make these rule these rules I quote unquote with those because. You can do whatever the hell you want. You don't have to do what doctors say to you, but you have to be able to live with the consequences of making the choice you live with. And some of those can be grave, and other times they can't be. And that's something that you have to do a risk-benefit analysis on, and that's what you do before you have your baby. So when it's time to be in labor, you you already know the things that you're comfortable with because it can be crazy. Um, so I did end up finding three providers, three midwives, um, that were comfortable with me being a special scar and having a home birth. And I kind of deduced come down to that because it was every obstetrician I had met and every hospital that I went to, because yes, you work with the doctor, but then you also have to work with the hospital. They're two separate entities but they work together and you have to kind of go with what the nurses do at that hospital because they work with all the doctors and you also have to work with that culture too um i could go on for hours about that in itself but uh so i chose to have a home birth with my daughter and i now had some dilemma that I didn't expect to have. I had to choose between three different midwives that I felt comfortable with, but they were in three very different locations. One was all the way in Logan. It was um, new arrivals. And this midwife had been doing, she'd been an unlicensed midwife for, hell, I think like 30 years, a long time. I have no idea. And that was the one I originally had been told about. And then um, I met uh, Birth Journey and Melissa Mayo and her midwives, and I loved the way they did their practice. And um, then I had a midwife in Pleasant Grove named Melody, and all of them I felt comfortable with, and it just kind of for me came down to I chose because I was fortunate enough to be able to choose uh, I chose the one that I was going to be living closest to. And when I lived, because I had moved from my mother's house into a rental in Murray, and so I chose um, Melissa uh, Mayo's group, um, knowing that I couldn't use Melissa as my midwife because she was licensed, and of course I can't have a licensed midwife. So my options were an obstetrician or an unlicensed midwife. So I chose to go with her part, one of her partners, Laura, and 
So I started doing my prenatals, and to appease my husband's comfort, we, um, out of the two OBs that I found, I stuck with the one, Dr. Wall, who's unfortunately no longer practicing in our area. Um, I was going to go with him because I, I liked his bedside manner more. I did not like that I knew that it was going to be an uphill fight with the uh, nurses there and the hospital rules or I say suggestions because the rules are what makes them more comfortable with things, not necessarily what's best for patients. Um, and I know that's going to cause, cause some ruffled feathers with you know, people in the medical world, but that's, that's really what it comes down to is the rules are not necessarily rules, but they're suggestions, and it's, they're made for the best outcome from most patients not all patients, and I knew that I was not most patients. I was the outlier. But uh, so I had concurrent care with an OB and a midwife, and so fast forward through all the processing of going to birthing events and meeting all these people and doing all these different things to, like, help me process just mentally prepare because for this journey for me it was it was not the birth itself that I had to it was the mental part of it because there was so many naysayers and I had almost got to the point where I couldn't say what I was going to do because oh you're so brave you're so I can't believe you're going to risk it and some of the things people say like I said are just awful and the only people I could really talk to were my birth team and a couple of my friends, and Julie was definitely one of those that I could just be real and authentic and share my emotions and not drown my husband with them because I know it can get exhausting for the man um, and, or my husband in our relationship because it was all-encompassing, all-consuming for me. Um, so for me, with my daughter's birth, I decided I was going to make this a party. I needed this to be a celebration. I needed this to just not be um, just, you know, most people, I took Laura Lynn's birth class, the hypnobirthing um, course, and I loved her relaxation shapes and all that, but for me, Something she said to me in the class was, you need to find some music or something that you can, like, get to your zone, to, like, zone out and get in your own little world. And something that I used and I've used my whole career in the military because I've been in the Army now. It's been 15 years. Um, for me, for me to get in my zone, I love party music. I need the fast party, like you are in a club and you're just having a grand time dancing on top of the bar type party, like just party hard type stuff. And so I, I felt that I needed with my daughter that I needed a doula. I needed two, so I hired two. And they both brought two separate things to the table. Um, and they were sort of the same kind of personality, but they were kind of polar opposite at the same time. And I just, I just needed that. And I wanted a birth photographer, and I, so I hired one. And then I wanted 
Um, so my birth photographer was Andrea Lithgow, and then my, I hired a videographer, um, Sarah AC. And, like, I had this massive birth team. People look at it and be like, I spent more on a birth than I did a wedding, and it's true. They were so and, awesome, because, though. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was amazing. And for me, I needed that. And not every woman needs that. And it's something you have to look at your finances and look at your situation and decide what you're comfortable with. And I can't tell you. But for me, my husband sold his motorcycle. I mean, he worked his butt off and gave up so many things for me to have all of the mental health therapy that I went and got between seeing private practice providers and like all these things because I just there was a lot of trauma that I had to work through to be okay with this and just like because I wanted to make sure that 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 the only thing that was in the way was like something that out of my control if I could control it and I could throw money at it to make it so I can control it I did what I could yeah Um, I totally understand so um, fast forward to the day I was due, I didn't tell anybody that I had started having contractions. Um, I didn't really think I was going to be in labor. Um, it was February, and I just kind of was like, oh, whatever, this is just going to be prodromal labor and pretend like nothing's going on. Um, so I that morning... I got up, had a nap, hung out with my son, played at the house, and I chose not to pay attention to any. I didn't time any of my contractions. I was just going to be like, okay, acknowledge they're happening, but they weren't painful to me. It didn't hurt, and I just kind of went with it, but I wasn't going to stop my day to focus on what was going on. So I called my mom. We went to the sewing machine. We went to the fabric store and bought fabric and started making stuff for my baby, uh, my daughter. Uh, I had booked a massage and I went to um, Lucissa and I had a massage done. And she recommended to go to this Thai restaurant. We went. My husband came down to my mom's house in Pleasant Grove and we had Thai food. And someone called me to ask me to come to their house and help them with breastfeeding questions or whatever they had. And I talked to my husband and he was like, okay, whatever. So I went to this lady's house and helped her for a little while and, you know, starting to get like nine o'clock and I'm like, well, I'm going to go home. And I drove from Pleasant Grove to Murray, which is like a 30 minute drive. Still hadn't told anybody. And I got home. And I decided that I was going to take a hot bath and just kind of see if that slowed things down or whatever. And my husband and I kind of talked about it a little bit. And he's like, I don't think, I don't know, this is probably prodromal labor. We did this for, with Stan for days, so this is probably not even it. We just totally blew it off. And so I laid down in bed and after the hot water got cold and started going to sleep. And about 11.50, I woke up and was like, I really, these are really getting uncomfortable. I can't lay down. This is, this is bad. And so my husband decides to call our doula, and, well, one of them, and just kind of let her know what's going on and see what they recommended. You know, 
Um, so my husband starts calling. She, I was up in the bathroom in our basement um, just doing my thing, walking around, swaying around um, through each contraction. And my husband's talking to my doula on the phone, and he is super calm, like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'm just kind of letting you know what's going on. No, I think we're fine. I don't think this is real labor. And he later told me that the doula said, hey, is that, is that Leslie in the background? I can hear her. And he goes, yeah. And she goes, you need to call the midwives. I'm on my way. So my birth team all actually came from Pleasant Grove. So they all had to drive 30, 40 minutes, depending on where they were located, to get to my house. So I'm sure she threw her stuff together and got in the car and drove up. And while I'm doing this in the bathroom, my husband's calling the midwife, and each person he called, each said, is that Leslie in the background? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, everything's fine. We're not really in labor. We're good. You know, come. And each one of them, he's telling, no, don't worry about it. She's not in labor. She's fine. You don't need to come. I'm just letting you know what's going on. And each one of them was like, I'm on my way, hung the phone up, and left. <laughs> So he's making these phone calls and, you know, calls everybody, obviously, except for the obstetrician, because we're not going to the hospital. We're going to have this baby at home. And I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how many calls he's made and all this stuff. And I finally just looked at him and I said, I want to go upstairs now. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I call my mother and I said, get up here. So she goes and she stops and gets gas. And coming from Pleasant Grove, this drives up to my house, all just like, okay, we're going to have this baby, no big deal. And I had called my sister to come get my dog because I didn't want my dog there in the way. And I get upstairs, you know, swaying around, kind of doing the each contraction, and I still haven't timed any of them. I'm in my own zone. I, like, I'm just in my own little world, and my husband. The midwife shows up, and my husband's over there fiddling around with the birth pool. And she goes, I remember her saying, we're way past that. We don't have time for that. Throw that in the corner. That stuff's over. <laughs> and he's like, what? And she's like, oh, my gosh. She is, like, about to have this baby. And my husband's like, no, she's fine. She's not that far along. And the midwife looked at him and goes, we're having a baby. And I think he just didn't expect to be that far along in labor because he was like, oh, all right, whatever. And I was like, I'm hot. I'm dying of heat. So I rip all my clothes off. Well, try. Half of them get stuck on me. And um, I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I start walking over to the bathroom. And by then, people had started showing up. My mom's there. Adula's there. Um, the midwife's there. My sister came and picked my dog up. And... Um, I start walking to the bathroom and on the left of me is like a nightstand and on the right of me is a curio and I'm stuck in the middle and I turn around and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. And I start pushing. And at that moment, my water breaks and there's meconium staining and so I kind of panic because I know that's that can be a problem. And... um. I'm now stuck in between the curio and the coffee table end table thing. 
and there's not a whole lot of room. And I'm like, I fall to my knees, and I'm in like on my hands and knees position. And at this point, you can see like my daughter's head starting to crown. And my husband's still in denial that I'm even this far in labor because he's standing there like, yeah, you want to drink a water? And the midwife goes, are you going to come over here and catch this baby? Because that's something we wanted to do is have him catch the baby. Um, and he was like, what? We're, this baby's here? And you can see, like, the change in him of, oh, my gosh, okay. So he gets behind me on the hands and knees and, like, reaches under to reach to, like, grab my daughter to, like, kind of help control her descent. And at that point, I did not, like, realize this is something I needed or anything. Like, instinctively, my body did it. And I did this, like, hip toss. I leaned straight up and, like, popped my hips forward. And my husband still got his hands below my, my, like, in between my legs. And my daughter kind of does this controlled slide descent down his arms to the floor. So nobody caught her. She kind of hit the floor. Oh, my gosh. And so I, like, pick my daughter up and bring her to my chest. And, like, there she was. And I collapsed in his arms in this, like, little teeny cubbyhole spot and make him super awkwardly holding me and my my body weight up because it was, like, my body, like, I had run this marathon and I had just, like, it was exhausting. And I just sat there, and the midwife was asking Joe where this box of all the med- all the supplies were and nowhere to be found. So the only thing we could find to wrap my daughter with was dish rags. So all my pictures have my daughter wrapped in dish rags. And, like, it was, I don't know, at that point it was like it was over. And there was only one point that I had actually, like, felt like this isn't going to happen. And that was when, like, I pushed against my body. And I I didn't push with a contraction because it was, like, Something Dr. Wallace said to me was, you are going to get to your wall of where you got before, and you have to get past that. And that is the hardest thing, because you're going to say you got to a four, and then you went for your C-section. When you get to a four, you're going to be like, well, this is where I got stuck last time. Am I going to get stuck this time? And it's almost like you're one of those, you're your own worst critic, because I know I got just as far as I did with my son, and I panicked and I pushed against my body, and I tore. And that was when I was thinking, this baby's going to be stuck. And that's why I pushed, because it was, she's going to be stuck, and I'm going to have a C-section, and I'm going to be treated awful when I go to the hospital. And it was like, I did all these, like, in a split second, I panicked. And then it was, when I tore, it brought me back to the reality of, I've made it to where I'm at, let me just take a deep breath and not be my own worst enemy at this wall that I've hit because this is where I was last time. I just need to get past this and it will be fine. And that was when I had like the two contractions after and that's when she was born. And it was, it was not what I expected after I had her. It was overwhelming. 
I had prepared for everything except for a fast birth. Um, my videograph- videographer didn't make it. My So I had started calling people at 11.50, and I had this baby at my daughter, Leora, at 1.20. So an by the time everybody... So an hour and a half. So by the time wow. everybody started to get like, their calls, their time was less and less and less. And so, like... Nobody was there and prepared for such a fast labor, so I caught everybody completely off guard, including myself. And it, like, the only thing I can say is, like, it was definitely an experience, and I think I never realized how much women in general have to fight to be educated for both sides of the coin of what are the pros and what are the cons, what are the risks versus the benefits and what am I comfortable with versus what is my doctor comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, it definitely was healing for me, and I'm I'm happy that I had a baby at home, and I would, if I had another one, I, would, I wouldn't even question having a baby at home. I don't even think I'd look for a hospital birth in any way. And my husband is completely happy with the decision that we made even as a healthcare provider, which people are shocked as a, as a physician assistant, as a doctor, that we were comfortable with choosing a home birth versus having a baby in hospital. Yeah. And I would absolutely. do it all over Yeah, I think it just kind of goes to show about how much you really do have to fight anymore for educated conversations. And a lot of times doctors are even set boundaries by the companies that insure them because of that reason. I just got done writing a long section on the history of VBAC for our birth classes that are live here now in Utah. So if you're local to Utah, definitely check them out, utahvbaclink.com slash vbac-class. Or you can go to just utahvbaclink.com and it's going to take you right there. So, Leslie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We have a blog, live on our blog, right now, today, all about special scars. And guess what? Somebody has, since Leslie's done all her research, broken down the risk of rupture by scar type. And guess what? You're going to find all that information on our blog right now, utahvbacklink.com slash blog and go there read it do your research get educated find a supportive provider trust your intuition and you can have the birth that you need for your specific circumstances thank you so much leslie i hope everyone has a great day we are always looking for more inspiring stories to share your story or possibly be on one of our podcasts post on social media with a hashtag why we VBAC and tag at the VBAC link or contact us from our website. Be sure to rate us and share and leave your reviews. We are excited to hear what you think. For families local to Utah, be sure to check out our website, utahvbaclink.com for more information on our VBAC childbirth classes and doula services. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited for you to begin your journey with us.